Welcome to The Real Zodiac, a film retrospective podcast dedicated to reminding or introducing you to some of the most iconic films of all time, stirring up memories of ones you forgot or wish you could forget, and every film in between. Your hosts will be your tour guides and sometimes companions along this journey down the rabbit hole. Be warned, though, there will be blood, guts, more than a few bullet casings, love, despair, tears of joy, and cries of agony. Some from the hosts themselves, because some of these movies will make them wonder why did they choose these movies. Good luck, oh, and of course, enjoy the ride. From a doomed planet in a distant galaxy to a fantastic underground hideaway. From the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the Daily Planet. Look, up on the screen, it's Superman. Superman, the movie. Hey, welcome to Real Zodiac, and we are in... The new lineup with some superhero movies, and tonight it's Spider or Spider Man, Superman, <laughs> the movie, 1978, Christopher Reeve. And uh, here with me, as always, is the Jimmy to my Lois, and I can say Lois because that's my middle name, uh, Quentin. <laughs> hey, Amanda, I totally understand why you said Spider Man <laughs> immediately. Because we have been rocking and rolling with our retro reels, so I'm. That's kind of. I'm. I'm glad that you had that slip up first and not me. Well, <laughs> and I had my open to both pages, so I just saw the S out of the corner of my eye, and it just pricked <laughs> my brain for a right. second. <laughs> no, but yeah, we are diving into the DC universe today. So, what, what a switch up! Yeah, definitely a, a good switch up. Yeah, very interesting. Excited. Get into this, but uh. We are joined by none other the the Superman to our podcast family, Philip. Hey, man. Hey, Quentin. Thank you guys for having me back. It's great to be here. Oh, we're excited to have you, Yay. man. Really, especially Thank, talking yeah. about this movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, this after over forty years. This is still considered the gold standard for how comic book movies should be done. And mm-hmm. its reputation is still earned. Like it is, this is one of those movies where people talk up the hype about it and it follow it it sticks the landing on absolutely everything the story the direction the music the cast the special effects um mm-hmm. and really like a couple of have come close but this is still um um considered not unanimously but for the most part um the bar that has yet to be met so, Philip, you might It's up there to, for a reason. Yeah, you might be able to verify this fact that I ran upon um that Kevin Feige 
makes yes all these Marvel directors watch this film. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, it was makes it I was mean, a, a, a um, I don't know if it was a speech, but it was a presentation he gave with Jeff Johns, and mm-hmm. uh, yes, he did say that. Hmm. I get it. It makes sense. And mm-hmm. looking at some of those different Marvel movies, you can see that same comedic structure, um, mm-hmm. just storyline, the way things are set up, the likability of the characters. Mm-hmm. It, Yeah. I, I'm like, oh, that makes 110% now. <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. And, it's also important to kind of keep the like the social context in which uh, this movie came out because you know nowadays we are getting multiple multiple comic book movies a year right um, and it's hard to imagine that not only a big-budget superhero film, but one that took itself as seriously as it needed to, also considering how, like, the general pessimism that was mired uh, in, like, the public consciousness at the time. Like, this... This and it, it was unheard of, and even the movie knows this too. Like I know we're going to get into like uh, the um, like the uh, certain scenes later, um, but when Superman says, "I'm here to fight for truth, justice in the American way," mm-hmm. Lois la- Lois laughs at him. I laughed too. Yeah, she says she said she laughs. And says, well, you're going to end up fighting every elected official in, in the city or the country, whichever. And then she says, I don't believe it. So that was a reflection of what was going on at the time and how that line, as earnestly as it was delivered, and you believe it, that mm-hmm. is how it would have landed. Um, It'll land that way now. It would. Yeah. 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 Especially now, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, before we get into the the bones of this one, I'm just now curious, uh, Quentin. Amanda. Was this your first time watching this? Did you watch it as a kid? Yeah. I have a checkered pass with this movie. I've seen it. I've seen it a handful of times. Probably nowhere near as as much as Philip, but... I've, I've seen this, I, I used to, um, go through when I, when I, uh, I lived in a different town, my little brother and I, we would, uh, go to a daycare and I was kind of the, the older kid of the daycare. And so she goes, Oh, you can just go hang out in like my living room instead of, you know, where all the kids are. Like they, I mean, they were just like little kids and my mom and dad just, had me hang out with uh the babysitter and the babysitter's son who's who was around my age so we would just hang out and um we 
we came across uh, Superman, the 1978 movie, and I think it was recently the Superman Returns was either coming out or has been out, and I've seen that one. And uh, that was kind of my exposure to Superman, by the way, was Superman Returns, because, you know, just I wasn't really familiar with Christopher Reeve, Smallville, any of that stuff. Um, so I put on this movie and I couldn't even get through it because I was I was so bored. And that's nothing towards how I feel now. I'm just saying like my mm-hmm. initial reaction as a kid, because even even Star Wars 1977 was boring to me when I was like a like a, a little kid, because there's just there's not as much happening as today's films, you know, Um and this was obviously after I saw, you know, Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man and all those growing up. Um, so I put this on. I was like, well, OK, I'll probably never watch that again because I watched the whole thing. And I sat there and I was like, OK. And uh, then uh, I want to say I graduated high school and I rented this movie and I rented all four uh, Superman all the way up to Superman Quest for Peace. And I sat there and I watched this and. Uh, something happened. I was just like, holy cow, this is amazing. Like, I just had a an appreciation for it because, like I said, I remember watching this back then. I was bored and all that. But, like, I just didn't grasp it like uh, I did, you know, now. And so watching this again, it was just enlightening and made me realize that this was something different. This was incredible for its day and age. Um especially in the late seventies. And so watching it was just, it was crazy. And so I've made it a point to watch this a couple times because you're right. It is kind of the standard that you would expect for a superhero film. I mean, it is the mold that you should follow because it does such a great job with an origin story. And also, you know, it's, it's not like a huge, huge action scene in this, but it's still, like ramps up the tension ramps up the excitement and i'm here for it um so yeah that's kind of where i sit um but yeah like i said my opinions have changed as i've grown older yeah i'm kind of the same as you quentin um i think when i first watched this because this movie is just a smidge older than myself but um i was i was a kid and I think a lot, obviously a lot of stuff went over my head because I think I was just, just young enough to not really understand everything. But I do remember like, obviously seeing like, I thought the ice crystals were cool, that whole formation in the Arctic and, uh, obviously seeing Superman, but, um, the earthquake stuff happening, like I remembered stuff like that, but definitely revisiting this as an adult, um, and just uh, gleaning different knowledge and knowing kind of like this basically was a groundbreaking movie. And mm-hmm. even watching it, rewatching it again for this podcast, so much of it holds up. It's just like mind boggling. And ah, uh, yes, this is the best Superman. Mm-hmm. Christopher, hands down, yeah. like. There's just something about the way he played the character, uh, both characters, uh, that I haven't seen in any other than maybe um, 
the TV show Lois and Clark, because that is kind of what I grew up on as a Superman. But the way he played the two characters was just, I haven't seen that in the movies since. Well, that was relatively uh, unexplored as well at that point. The fact that Christopher Reeve played them as two different characters, like his um, the tension that he kept in his shoulders and his neck mm-hmm. uh, as Clark, he his head was a bit further down and um, sort of um, um, tense. Uh, yeah, his like voice a little more slouchy. Yeah, he slouchy. His voice was higher. Um, his uh, like his forehead was um, uh, yeah, like even he had like worry lines in his forehead as Clark, um, and also that his hair was parted on the opposite side in the glasses. Um, but at that point. The only um, uh, people that we had seen as Superman was Kirk Allen briefly and George Reeves. But even they, they kind of did Superman as Clark as kind of the same character, just one's wearing glasses and a suit and the other's not. But um, mm-hmm. it was I, I I believe that it was it was Christopher Reeves um, uh, primarily his input and his idea to play them as though they were to um as two characters. And again, that was, it, it shows the maturity um, and the wisdom that he brought to it. Uh, he was never uh, a, a Superman fan or a comic book fan prior to um, ah. getting this role, but he knew that this was a character that meant a lot to people. And so um, when he auditioned for the role, he was very, very tall, but also very, very skinny. So he, I think it was in London where they had the auditions. So he flew out to London and he wore a very, the thickest sweater he could find to make himself look as big as possible. Right. And after he was offered the part, they said, you know, don't worry, kid, we'll get you in a big muscle suit. To make you look, you know, to, to make up for the, the mass that you don't have. And one of his first decisions after getting the part was, well, and obviously I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, well, hang, hang on a second. This, this is not only a character that is important to people, but he also stands for truth. And he uh-huh. said, I don't think that I would be doing this character uh, a service. So give me six months and I'll, I'll get the weight on. And he did that. Um, he trained for about four to six hours a day, um, six days a week. Um, was, I think, um, mornings was weights, afternoons was cardio. And he trained with David Prowse. Oh, uh, really? Pre, pre Darth, yes, pre Darth Vader, David Prowse, or or no, 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 no. Sorry, it, it, Star Wars was seventy six. This was seventy seven when they when each film was being made. So this would have been right after David Prowse did Star Wars. So yes, 
he trained under him. And, um, you know, when we, you know, talk about what a trendsetter this was, the, the, the act of a body transformation for a role like Chris Hemsworth, Hugh Jackman, Robert Downey Jr., Henry Cavill, Ben Affleck, uh, Gal Gadot. This again was where it all started. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it I'm, really did the precedent in so many more ways than we probably even realize. Yeah, not just the filmmaking, but also yeah, how like uh, how actors um, approach their portrayal of these particular characters and how, um, uh, like, and how, what, what dedication they have to put into the physical work as well, not just the acting, but the look as well. And in the end, uh, no padding was used, no special effects, although they wouldn't have been able to do much anyway. Um, and, um, yeah, it was also Christopher Reeve's idea to bank when he uh, during the flying scenes uh you can see that his body banks every time it turns and that was his idea as well so even though he didn't have the extensive like comic book background um he knew enough to treat the character with what respect um it was necessary right so yeah Just to let you guys know, I am going to need like Oscar music to play me off because I, like I said, I need no prep time for this movie and I can (laughs) talk about it, you know, uh, until the end of time. So feel free to just jump in because otherwise we'll be here for a while. Well, I kind of want to go from what you were saying, even just with the music. I want to talk about John Williams for a minute Mm -hmm. Um, because this, this was the definitive Superman music. I mean, give your praise to Hans Zimmer for what he did for man of steel or, you know, Danny Elfman with, with Batman. This is the music that brings you hope and brings yep. you this like crazy, just euphoric feeling of this is, this is Superman. This is his music. This is what makes you feel powerful. So, well, I mean, it's an anthem. Yeah. It's not, it's more than a theme. It's an anthem. And again, like when we talk about the self-awareness that the movie had, it starts from the very, very beginning because this is another thing that you would not get nowadays. The full credits, which I think are about five minutes long and you see, and the whooshing with each name and that, um, another thing about this is that Williams scored the opening theme to be synchronized with the whooshing sound effects. That's why they sound almost like they complement each other, because, uh, I mean, John Williams is just a God tiered um, um, composer, not just more than cinematic composer, just composer in general. He's up there with with Beethoven and Mozart and Haydn um, and I think that he already, they already had, um, the whooshing and the credits done by the time he was scoring it. So he almost used the whooshing almost like a metronome 
to kind of keep the beat so that he would know what to do. Yeah, that um, totally makes sense. And I heard somewhere, I said, yeah, that totally makes sense. But I heard somewhere, too, that um, he, in his mind, with uh, Superman's anthem, like the, dun, dun, like, he wanted it to sound like you could say Superman to it. Yes. Like, yes. it was, like, supposed to be almost, like, lyrical, that you just knew exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, do you yeah, have, is, do you have is, those lyrics? Yeah. I, I would assume that you wrote some lyrics, right, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, not to the main theme, but the song that plays when they're flying, which is called Can You Read My Mind? Um, Lois was, a, well, Margot Kidder was originally supposed to sing it. What? Um, yeah, it's, so there is, a version of it. It's not sung by Margot Kidder. It's sung by um, Maureen McGovern, I think, who's famous for the song The Morning After from Poseidon or The Poseidon Adventure. Um, there is a version of it, which is it lyrically, it is identical, but it's it was supposed to be sung and either Margot Kidder, she either couldn't do it or didn't want to, or they thought it went better as just a soliloquy. But yeah, those were song lyrics that she's reciting. Wow. Yeah. I heard that Margot tried to sing it a couple different times and um, in her mind, it just wasn't working out. And then the director's like, let's just do it with like, yeah. Spoken word. But I did hear a clip of a quote of, um, John Williams to where he just sounded like so sweet and nice to her, but you know, was basically saying like she tried it and she improved and she did a good job, but this is the way we decided to go. But then you hear her version of it and she's like, yeah, no, like <laughs> I'm not a singer, but John Williams tried to be like positive and like encouraging and didn't try to like put her down or anything like that for not being able to sing because not everybody mm -hmm. can. I could so I totally see Williams super. being that way too. Yeah. He was super professional and nice about oh, it. Oh yeah. Did I tell you guys I got to see him uh, live? No. Yeah. He played the Superman theme. When, when was this? Oh man. Um, hmm. I want to say in 2017, uh, in oh. Nashville, my professor got, got me and my wife. Well, my, she was my fiance or girlfriend at the time, but she, he got us, uh, tickets with him to go see, uh, John Williams and conduct, you know, the Nash, the Nashville symphony. And it was, it was breathtaking. I, I couldn't believe I couldn't believe it. And oh. like he talked about, you know, Superman. He talked about um, how he said that like he only signed on for the other two Star Wars movies because he didn't want uh, anybody else writing Daisy Ridley's theme. Mm -hmm. Like he he said he fell in love with that theme so much that he had to continue on because he didn't want anybody else to to have it or to yeah to work on it. 
and I thought that was like insanely sweet. And so he played that. I mean, it was like it was that was probably an out of body experience. It was insane, insane. So did they did they also play like clips as no clips from the movie on the screen? Okay, no, it was just it, yeah. But I mean, like it was so clear and concise with the way it was, you could just play it in your mind, you know. Like, uh-huh. uh, I think he ended it with, uh, the throne scene or the throne room, uh, from the end of Star Wars. And, um, then he played like the end credits for Star Wars and that's how he ended the concert. And like, it was just oh. beautiful, breathtaking. Like I said, I can imagine, I can imagine. I've never heard his music live, but I mean, I could, I, I could imagine that it would just like surround you like water. Yeah. I mean, it. There was nothing like it. Um, I remember just like looking at my wife and I was thinking like, this is it. We've made it, you know, (laughs) there's nothing else, you know, like that can top this. And yeah, it was, it's possibly probably the best concert I've ever seen. I, yeah, easily. I can see that. Such great music. And, you know, you're, it's not high energy to like, you got to jump up and down and scream and everything. Like everybody was just so chill listening to this and the way he spoke was i mean he's older he's a he's an old man mm-hmm. but you held on to every word like it was like you know a scripture because it's john williams talking to you yeah so it was well amazing. when he when he was doing the score for the um, star wars prequel trilogy back in the late 90s and early aughts um and I, I forget who the orchestra was. I think it might have been the London Symphony Orchestra. Um, but a couple of the uh, uh, players had approached him and they said, not only is it, uh, is it an honor to work with you, you're the reason why your music in the Star Wars original trilogy was what got me to pursue music and then so then they got to play with him for the soundtrack of the sequel trilogy and it's the same thing with the special effects as well um like the um um some of the designers in the prequel trilogy they got they were inspired to pursue that line of work from having seen star wars 20 years prior right so it's you know He's old too. He's in his nineties. So it's unfortunately not going to be much longer, but I mean, he's lived, uh, such an astounding life and what he's produced. Yeah. And the thing that like is, is even crazier is just like his ability to create these themes, you know, that have become so, um, iconic that it just kind of it just kind of makes you wonder how does he do it and mm-hmm. with the work that he does and also just in terms of getting um getting the talent to have the people that he works with uh pull it off for him and i don't know like i just i wish just for like one day i could sit down um at lunch with him and just pick his brain because like what goes on in that magical mind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, and I mean, you're music, you're into music as well in uh, music education. Yeah. So, I mean, you understand more than most people what type of like creative, energetic flow uh, uh, is capable of producing this. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. I wrote a paper on, uh, John, on, uh, the scavenger theme from Force Awakens and Mm -hmm. because it just, it moved me so much seeing it in theaters and then obviously being able to listen to it live was just another experience that, you know, you just can't put into words really. And, uh, I, yeah, nothing, nothing can take that away from me. And just being able to experience that, it's just, like I said, it's, it's, it's great to be able to have that experience with also knowing his intentions and all in terms of like scenes. And he kind of went into, you know, like what he did with Superman and how kind of like how you're saying it's an anthem. I mean, yeah, it's, it's basically like the Krypton anthem, you know, like it could be used in that sense because of how just, exploded explosive it is in terms of Mm -hmm. just creating this style and this sense of wonder and for it to work in that aspect of it being in space with the whooshing of the credits and it still just feels so new even though this was Mm -hmm. in the late 70s and and unfortunately this is something i don't think we'll see again that the movie took its time with the credits so that you could acclimate yourself to this universe because your travel it, it's more it, it's not a black screen like you as you see the credits they're moving you're moving in space there's the music so it is in itself a journey and i mean this is it as the two of you had said earlier, like when you see this as a kid versus as an adult, they are two different experiences. And well, what's your experience? Well, I don't really have any specific, like this was it for me. Um, Cause I think when I started to realize what it was, was when it was playing on ABC and like HBO a lot Right. Um, there was never a moment where it's just like I saw Superman for the first time. For me, it was always around. Um, it was, you know, certainly catchy, uh, the theme. So, you know, if kids would sing the tune, um, it was instantly recognizable. So it was something that was always around. Um, but it didn't really hit me until like around 2000, like once X-Men came out. And that was the start of like the trend of comic book movies being given big budgets, being taken seriously and being well received by critics and fans alike. Right. It, it, that was not the first one. Yes, there was Blade. There was Batman. Um, but it really, it, it started in 2000 for all intents and purposes. It became more mainstream. X-Men. Yes. Yes. Uh, more mainstream and I kind of went back to it with, um, with fresh eyes and it hit me totally different. 
Um, and it's, you know, it, it's funny because this can be boring to a kid. Like there's some parts, um, especially in Smallville. Um, the movie doesn't even get to Metropolis until 45 minutes in. And right. even then, you don't see Superman for an hour. So the movie is almost halfway done. Uh, well, depending on which version, because there is, I think the theatrical was two hours, the extended is two and a half, and the complete uncut version is three hours. Right. Um, but regardless, I mean, you're already a huge chunk of the way through before you even see the titular character. And again, that's something that they would not do nowadays. Yeah, you're right. I mean, think about where we were and like, think about seeing, and I'm just mentioning like, uh, Spider-Man. I mean, you see him, um, in his full regalia in probably like 45 minutes, but you have all this action and everything already mm. set up, you know? Um, but in here, there's a lot of opening dialogue you have to get through. Mm -hmm. What we see on Krypton, we have to go through, like you said, Smallville, and then reestablishing him as Clark Kent in, uh, uh, my gosh, what's it called? Metropolis. Mm -hmm. And then introducing all these other characters as well. So it's just like... They don't have time to throw you into an action sequence because what what we're trying to get across is a narrative. And this is. It's a story that doesn't need to be this big budget action-packed flick. It just is an origin for a character that deserves this, you know? Like, you don't need to get mm -hmm. all crazy with it. Yeah. And the movie was vastly different from when Richard Donner signed on to it. Um, there was it was originally a lot heavier on the campy humor, and it was more consistent with like 1960s Batman than what it became. But once Richard Donner um, realized what this could become, he he'd uh, uh, requested that additional script writers be brought in. Um, and the only example that I can think of off the top of my head of something that was in the original script, but what was written out because it was too dumb. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was a show, a TV show in the seventies called Kojak. <laughs> and it yeah. starred Telly Savalas who I think he was a he was a detective or a cop and um, he had a catchphrase that was uh, who loves you baby and he was also for, for those who don't know the actor was bald uh, in real life there was going to be a cameo of Kojak, not just the actor, but the character. So it would have involved, Here. yeah, it would have involved uh, Superman flying through the city searching for Lex Luthor. And he approaches a man from 
behind, he and the audience think he's found Lex Luthor, but he turns around and it's Telly Savalas. He says the catchphrase and Superman flies away. And mm-hmm. Richard Donner saw that. And he's like, this is stupid. Like this is, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Um, so he brought in, um, um, the husband and wife, uh, David and Leslie Newman, um, and Richard Benton as well to do an overhaul. Um, so it, you know, when we talk about what like gravitas it brought, it, it almost, this was almost a swing and a miss. Like this was almost, um, Everything that made this movie distinct, we almost didn't get it. Um, the casting would have been different. Um, there was also a, some, uh, not controversy, but there was some problems involving a mustache. Um, you heard Hackman, about right? that little. You heard mustache. about the mustache. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That, uh, once Gene Hackman was cast as Lex Luthor, Gene Hackman had a mustache and he was on the phone with Richard Donner and he says, I don't want to shave my mustache for this. So Richard Donner said, well, listen, if you shave yours, I'll shave mine as well. And we could be like almost like the mustache, the Sands mustache brothers or something like that. And so he eventually agreed. And when he showed up on the set, Richard Donner had a mustache. And so when Gene Hackman went up to him and he says, basically, what gives? I thought you were going to shave it off. Um, Richard Donner just pulled it off because it was a prop mustache. So that's right. Yeah. 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 This. Yeah. To think that this was almost brought down by a mustache 40 years before it eventually was. <laughs> oh, that's just so funny. Mm-hmm. But it seems very Gene Hackman. From the seventies, yeah, yeah. Not well, lie. they really they needed they needed him. Like they were, Gene Hackman was second build. Um, you know, Christopher Reeve, Margot Kidder, um, they were uh, relatively unknowns. Christopher Reeve was a complete unknown. They were banking on big names like Brando, like Hackman, like Glenn Ford. Um, Ned Beatty kind of, he was, he was still an up and coming star. Um, most of the council of Krypton were established actors. Um, so they were, they knew that this was going to be a hard sell for the audience. So they tried to get as many names as they could bank upon. And when you do that, you gotta kind of play to their ego. Yeah, you got to pay their bills and and make them happy. Mhm. Especially with Brando. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Which he did a great job, but it definitely was one of those things. I'm like, ah, I always forget that it's Bar- Brando. Mm-hmm. Just because like he you looks could. So different. Oh yeah. Well, you could also see in the uh, trial scene. Uh, Brando was famous already at that point for not memorizing his lines. And he had some ridiculous justification for it. But um, <laughs> when he's sentencing 
the three Kryptonian criminals. If you look at his eyes, you can see them moving left to right as he's reading. No, and, I didn't even notice that. Yes. It, so if you specifically, it's it's especially prevalent um, when it comes to General Zod. So when he recites the line, um, chief architect of this intended revolution, uh, uh, of this intended revolution, author of this insidious plot to establish a new order amongst us like that part. You can see his eyes scanning left to right as he's reading the cue cards. He also had index cards with his lines in the baby's diaper. I heard so, that, too. I yeah. heard about the diaper thing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, Marlon Brando brought with him, um, you know, this incredible talent, but it doesn't change the fact that he was the most insufferable pain in the ass to work with. The most. And it, and it only got worse from there. Gosh, and how many minutes of screen time does he actually have? Like 10 minutes, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, not even. Not even. Yeah, and he was um, paid handsomely for it. And he didn't uh, – he offered the idea of doing – Jorel as a bagel in a suitcase. That way, he could only record his lines. What? Um, that can't. Be. Yeah, it's it's it, no. again given the extent of his of of what uh, a pissant he was. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, though. I will say, his the one input that still sticks. Um, which what which turned out to be a really good idea was that when he was cast, he wanted to wear the low the shield the S shield. Okay. Now at that point, the S stood for Superman. It was there was no deeper significance than that. It was a crest that had the initial of the character, and he wanted to wear it, and, and so. Uh, I, I don't know if it was Donner or the producers or the screenwriters, but they said, no, it's not. I mean, it, it, it's for Superman. And so he said, well, can it be a family crest? Because if, if it's a coat of arms, I can still wear it. And they went with that. They were just like, actually, that's a good idea. And I mean, that was what made when it's what turned the S shield into a family coat of arms and the symbol of the House of L. And after that, they gave each um, council member of Krypton their own unique um, coat of arms on their chests. Wow. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. That's so crazy. That it changed in this, that that part of the history changed in this movie. Yeah. This, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, this, yeah, when we talk about, you know, what what long lasting impacts. So there was, you know, how how comic book movies are treated. Um, the the S shield. This was also the movie that established Lex Luthor as a real estate lover, because um, before he was more just of a like maniacal. Um, you're, you're almost standard uh, comic book villain. 
Um, but this was what started him in the whole real estate and land um, land thing, which was consistent in Smallville and then in um, uh, Superman Returns. Right. Yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. I to- I told you 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 need Academy Award music to play me off. Otherwise, I'll just. Go. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's all good. That's all. I was like, oh, it's Philip. Philip. Yes, our Superman. <laughs> like this is gonna be fun. But uh, I just kind of go into just like that whole. And Marlon Brando can be the only one to get away with mispronouncing something like. Yes. Symbiote or Krypton. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I had to chuckle because I don't think I just paid attention before, but hearing him keep saying Krypton, and I was like, wait, what? Oh no, oh no. But, uh, and, um, Kalel, he said Kalel. Kalel. <laughs> Kalel, yeah. Um, I think his, his justification for that, um, well, first of all, it was to be lazy because he didn't, he was past, uh, giving a shit about anything at that point. But, <laughs> right. um, his justification was that since this was a character that came from another planet, their dialects and pronunciations would be different from Earth's, which does kind of make sense. It but, makes sense. But it's like, he just made it up to be lazy. Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah. But I just love the three um, acts of this movie, essentially, which you could say four, but um, I loved the whole beginning with Krypton, and it kind of almost gave me that, I mean, because it was the 70s, but it gave me, like, a total, total like, Stanley Kubrick vibe. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, Space Odyssey. And... I thought that that was cool. And then, of course, it gets down to a Earth in Smallville, which hashtag Kansas. Yay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and the scene looked really Kansas, though, because it was kind of like the, the flat plains and yeah, had that the wheat field, which was accurate versus mm-hmm. I think Man of Steel. They're like in a cornfield where the corn yes. is like grown and they're yeah. wearing coats. And I was like. Anybody in Kansas knows it's already like 85 to 90 degrees right now. <laughs> they mm-hmm. should not wear coats. <laughs> yeah. Well, they they filmed it in Canada. So, oh. at, you know, it's it may not be accurate, but yeah, that's probably why the coats were a necessity. Um some of the structures are still there, like I think the um the farmhouse that oh, cool. was used in or no, 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 no. The chapel which was used okay. in the cemetery scene, that was only four feet tall. It what? and it's still there. Like yeah, it's it's a forced it like perspective. It's yeah, it's four feet tall. It they used forced perspective to make it look larger, but that is that is still there. Wow. I did yeah. not I couldn't tell that that was miniature work. No. No. I went back and forth with the dam, like a few shots where mm-hmm. I was like, is that? No. Yes, no. But yeah, the well, and the, was impressive. Yeah, yeah. The thing with the and w- when the water was flowing, like you, you can tell that that is not to the scale it's supposed to be in the movie theater. But um, 
Uh, yeah, something like that where the chapel was surprisingly small and you can't tell. Like there are, even though it was the mid 70s, some of the effects would be, they are dated, but God did, does this movie hold up even still? I'm, yeah, just rewatching it this week. I am still surprised at how well this movie held up compared to, I mean, if we even just go back into like the mid to late nineties with a lot of the mm-hmm. effects, Hell, just some of that Daredevil. stuff hold up after, yeah, 10 years, it doesn't hold up. Yeah. My, mm-hmm. every time I look at this movie, I immediately think, how did they make this look so good? And Daredevil looks like a video game. And I'm talking about the Ben mm-hmm. Affleck one, not, not the Netflix series. Yeah. It's so crazy. But um, I want to talk about some, like, favorite scenes. Mine, of course, was uh, when Superman comes out and he looks at the phone booth and he's like, hmm, that's not going to work. Playing, you know, a little homage to the whole phone booth thing that we all grew up knowing without even knowing it. Mm It's just something that everyone knows. But, yeah, doing the the turn door and then the pimp outside. pimp, yeah. That's a bad outfit. <laughs> oh, that and again, that's where the movie self awareness comes out. Mm-hmm. The fact that it was in the midst, the the fact that the movie came out in the mid seventies, and the first person to see Superman in the suit was an era appropriate pimp. I think that's that awesome. Person experience, yeah. it, it works. Yeah, and he just flies away, and he has, like, whoa. He has almost no reaction to it. Because, like, the whoa the second time is almost the same as the first. Right. So he sees a guy in this red, yellow, and blue suit, and he says, whoa. And <laughs> He just goes straight up in the air and says, well, almost the same way. Um, like the, the comedy was prevalent, but it didn't, it, it, it didn't like completely saturate the scene because the scene is still powerful. We remember, uh, you know, the tension, uh, it thanks in no small part to the music because Lois is, hanging from the side of the helicopter um and somehow a news crew was already there um filming it yeah i i but, laughed at that uh, I, I, like, of course of course they're right there yeah um and like the music is building up you can hear that something that pretty much this is it this is it and it goes right from the phone booth to the pimp and it all works. Like you had two le- jokes, legitimate humor jokes. One had to do with the background of character that he was, you know, pretty much famous for changing in phone booths, but they didn't have phone booths at that point anymore. So he does this quick once over like, okay, I can't change in there. Uh, so it was a reference to the history of the character. And then the second one with the pip was, more of a reference to the city culture at the time. And yet 
it all works. It all fits. So yeah. What's a what's a favorite scene for you, Quentin? I think and let me let me think about that. Uh the big thing that I really liked was his kind of first um encounter with Lex Luthor and um just how Lex Luthor brings him about uh coming to him. Like I loved all of that. That like shows you how much of a mastermind that Lex Luthor is and their conversation in terms of talking about like the fault line and the, I I don't know. It just shows you how diabolical um, Gene Hackman Mm -hmm. does it with Lex Luthor. He is so great in this movie. He's not goofy because I know that Gene Hackman, he can kind of be a comedic actor, you know, and seeing him in this, I mean, think about it, uh, Amanda. Last time we saw him was in Hoosiers, right? Oh shoot, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> comparing him from that to to this, I mean, it's just night and day. He just really captures you, and seeing him talking to Superman and the legitimacy of it, it doesn't look like weird. It's not off-putting seeing a man in tights, you know, talking to a man who's talking about killing a mil- millions of people, you know? It just, you go with it. And I think I like that avenue that they took that they didn't make it super serious or anything, kind of like what they did in Superman Returns. I, I would say that it gets a little too serious for for my liking, but this one just balances it really well. And I don't know, I just, I really like seeing... Um, the, the mind over matter, as you would say that, uh, Gene Hackman says in this, it's just great. Mm-hmm. It, ta- it really takes a lot for, for a grown man to be dressed like Christopher Reeve was with the bright tights, cape, and you, you don't even notice it. And I I only say that because one of the things that well, one of the things that sank Superman Lives in the late nineties, the with Nicolas Cage, uh or what would have been the Nicolas Cage Superman movie, one of the things that sank it was that they could not get him in a costume that did not look like you wanted to laugh. Oh wow. I didn't yeah. realize that was it, a, one of the issues. Well, I mean, Superman Lives was plagued by issues. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I really I, – I don't want to overplay the part that the aesthetic of the costume had, but it was a part of it. And once the studio execs saw what he looked like, they were just like, we can't – no we can't do this anymore. And so kind of going back to, you know, the the 1978, like this was part of the thing that just made everything work that you have someone who looks like that, that, and somehow it all fits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Looking at it in this movie, I'm just like, I just like the, the simplicity of the outfit, like the traditional mm-hmm. color tones, 
and it worked for Christopher. And yeah, I mean, like maybe my second favorite would be like your your black Superman that you wore to C two E two. It's probably the <laughs> second best looking one, but yes. <laughs> But it just, just Thank seeing you. it, I was like, it's just so clean and it has that humility to it, um, if that sort of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, it also it also seems to convey the purity of the character. Yes, uh, the bright The brightness of it. And, you know, don't get me wrong, there is a way that you can make characters like that a bit darker, but again... Remember the social context at the time. Like this, this was a time when general morale in America was low, like very, very low. Um, this was just a few years after the oil crisis. And I know this was before our time, and it was before my time, too, so I only heard about this afterwards. But as if getting gas for your car wasn't a pain in the ass enough, in the early to mid-70s, there was a gas shortage. Right. So cars could only get gas based on the last digit of their license plate if it was an even number. They could only get gas on certain days of the week, and if it was an odd number, say the alternating. Um, lines for gas stations um, stretched out to about two to three miles, um, and that was only one aspect of the misery that was going on. So it's almost like this movie acts as its own – kind of superhero to swoop in when we needed it Mm -hmm. Um, because afterwards. Yeah. I was going to say, but that's kind of how Superman has always been Mm -hmm. right in his creation. And then him being brought into just like television and stuff. It always kind of surrounded um, a beacon of hope in times of crisis. Yeah. And that was the big thing with uh, how they talked about um, Man of Steel. I don't mean to keep harping back to that, but there was just that that fact of like hope. Hope was everywhere in that movie uh, being mm-hmm. said, but here it was just felt. It didn't. It didn't have to be said, you know. Not mm-hmm. because, yeah, you have that symbol of hope in Man of Steel as he's you know destroying. 17 buildings in a row but like here it's just like it's just felt i mean that's just the the feeling you get when you watch this is like you know what this is a great escape it's not too dark it's super light the music just brings it home i I feel like you know phil we haven't discussed the music that much at all (laughs) i'm just kidding but like it's it's just we we did we did kind of casually gloss over it right (laughs) but i would say like they just this is an escape that's all i'm gonna say is like it's just a perfect way to just lose yourself in the magic of superman Mm -hmm. and there's no 
one thing to thank for this. I mean, this what you, we use the term lightning in a bottle to describe something like this, but this is more like multiple bottles of lightning inside a larger one because it was, I mean, the casting was perfect. We'll say what we will about Brando because it's deserved, but um, the cast fired on all cylinders, uh, the screenwriting director, special effects uh, um, director of photography, the cinematography, the music like this. So there's this hypothetical saturation point where once the threshold is met, a movie cannot be done any better. And this is one of the very, very few films that exists where the saturation point is reached. Like there's when when you go back, even trying to pick nits, there is really nothing that anyone can legitimately say, I could have done this better or I would have had this done a different way and that would have been better. It's like this is as close to perfect as we could ever get. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm playing the music off in my head now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Amanda, I from <laughs> I trying to word this right, but from the positivity that we've gotten from Phil, what is something that you have trouble with in this movie or something that doesn't work for you? Um, I would say the only thing was just the, the criminals comedic bit of, uh, staving off the military vehicles for the missiles. Oh yeah. 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 But, yeah. Something right oh. out of the sixties, right? Yeah. It, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but some of it was just like the back and forth between, I mean, just the three of them. Like I had all the numbers written on my arm. You yeah. idiot. It's supposed to be a, an, a seven and then an 11 or whatever it was. But even in those points, that's where the music went comedic. So I knew that's what I was going to get before mm -hmm. the scene mm -hmm. even happened. So yeah. that's another applause to the guy we haven't talked about at all, John Williams. But yeah, I mean, there's music, and I knew that's what was going to happen. There's not much to say about the music, so let's just move on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this. Like Otis's theme on the um, was it a tuba? Either a tuba or a sousaphone. Yeah. It's like bum 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 bum. Like it's 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 very it's it's deep, but it's also kind of dainty, and so it it sort of transitions you from like now this is going to be a little bit lighter, um, and that scene. Where um, Lex shows Otis his long arm. That scene was originally a lot longer, and when he jumps out of the driver's seat, there was <laughs> a scene with the doors in the back popping open, 
and like Gene Hackman beating the shit out of uh, uh, Ned Beatty. Because, yeah, it wasn't just that he threw him into the back. It's that it was enough that the doors flung open and that he was holding him like out. Ah, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it was in the TV cut. Like it was, um, yeah, I'll play myself off. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> but yeah, having this, uh, villainous, uh, also female counterpart. And that, I guess maybe that's the part that made me feel like it was more like the 60s Batman style. Cause, the bad guy always had like a sexy henchwoman that maybe wasn't necessarily bad. She was just stuck in a predicament, mm-hmm. but she kissed Superman without permission. Mm. Girl. Yeah. What was That's up with right. that? Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> like, I don't like obviously different times, but like, was he was she just like attracted to him because there was that little scene yeah. where he comes in and she kind of like gives him the once over, but I guess it, was that kind of our clue into she was like okay this guy's a little hot he's gonna save my mom right mm-hmm. <laughs> but I like how he even addresses it he's like uh why did you do that <laughs> yeah. She's like, well, I didn't think I, you'd let me do it after. And I was like, ugh. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. not going to hold up. That's not going to hold up. I was like, Superman probably, you're right. He would have been like, no, mm-mm, I'm not like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. <laughs> it does kind of seem to imply that, you know, she was going to go on some sort of redemption arc, which doesn't happen because she's only in one scene in the sequel and she's – Still a bad guy. Or no, two scenes. Two scenes. The balloon and the fortress. Oh, okay. Yeah, I. it's yeah. been a while since I've seen Superman 2. I didn't even know she came back. I forgot all about her. Yeah, it's very, yeah, very she, brief. I would assume, because they filmed both of the movies, like, essentially back-to-back, correct? Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's... So it's, that was the intent? Well, it's... It, no, I, it's a technicality of distinction, and uh, this is like this is the few times when I get really like pedantic about well, actually, like this is my I, I'm allowed one well actually card a year, and I'm <laughs> cashing it in now. Wow, so, well, actually, You're getting it here, guys. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they they were not they weren't filmed back to back. They were filmed at the same time, and the difference oh. with that is that. For for Superman one and two, all of the scenes in both films that like, for example, all the scenes that take place in the Daily Planet were all filmed at once. All the scenes that take place in the Fortress of Solitude were filmed at once, like um, Christopher Reeve's first day on set was filming a scene for the sequel. Um. And it wasn't even, it was even cut out of the theatrical. It was reinserted for the Donner cut in 2006. Um, but his very first scene filmed was the scene of Superman getting his powers back. And I think that the only reason why they filmed that scene first 
was because it was the only time Marlon Brando and Christopher Reeve were on screen at the same time, like actually in person. So it was probably Brando's last day. So they started Christopher Reeve off on that one day of shooting that overlapped, like his last day, last day for one was the first day of the other. Huh. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, they were not back to back, but they were filmed at the same time. Okay. Oh wow, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That that's like putting yeah. the cart before the horse, you know. But like, oh yeah, in the sense, a bigger horse in front of the horse, because I mean that movie not only exploded even more, but like from what I gathered and what I remember. I, I remember liking Superman 2 even more. Mm-hmm. So, but like I said, well, I, and, I can't remember. I, it's been a while since I've seen it. You know, Superman 2 also, as, you know, depending on which version, if you're going to watch the Lester or the Donner version, um, it proved that you could have an overabundance of villains and it will still work because in Superman two, there's four bad guys. Like we fault Spider-Man three for having Mm -hmm. three bad guys. Um, and, um, the amazing Spider-Man two with Electro, the Rhino and the new goblin. Did you listen to our past shows? (laughs) Because we definitely mentioned that. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, this, it's it it's a common criticism that comic book movies get too many villains, but again, like Superman two proved that you could do it and it will work. And it's not just that the three Kryptonian villains operated as a single like uh hive mind. Like you had their very, very distinct um um uh, uh, personalities and their distinct ways of enacting cruelty like general zod as you know this autocratic thespian uh and just the way he delivered everything you have ursa um who ursa was created for the film she was based on the character feodor ul who was in the man of steel so the female, the reason why the female Kryptonian villain in The Man of Steel looks so much like Ursa is because she was the character that Ursa was based upon. It's um, because she is. Yeah. 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 Um, and um, so she's almost um, she is sadistic, but she's also very sycophantic. She's almost like Dwight Schrute in her, her how she shows her devotion to General Zod. And you have Nan as the the mute brute, um, who is who, in the Lester version of Superman two, he was used more for comic relief because um, he acted kind of like a a big baby, um, like with the pig grunting sounds that he made. Um, in the Donner version, which was the original version, he was a lot more serious and less childlike. Um, I'd recently found out that the backstory of Nan was that he was a scientist who was uh, who had been lobotomized. 
Uh, he was, yeah, which is, yeah, and which makes perfect sense of why he would be so, why he would be so dumb and why he would be so valuable to Zod, because he was originally the brains of the organization, but the, the Krypton, the, 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 uh, Kryptonian Council basically arrested him and prior to the Phantom Zone, um, they had him lobotomized, which is why he doesn't say a word, which I thought was neat. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. And I love that there was even like a, that there is a Donner cut of this because that makes the Snyder cut even more yes. meta. Yes. Like, wow. Like, yeah. Have we learned any lessons? Just. <laughs> I, I, so I can answer, I can answer that. The answer is no, you know, um, and I, I don't want to, completely go off on what I think about Warner now. Um, but I do have to say they are nothing if not consistent. Cause if you think about it, the way they screwed over Donner in the early eighties, and then they screwed over Christopher Reeve in the late eighties, and then they screwed yeah. over Tim Burton in the late nineties is very, very similar to how they did eventually screw over Zack Snyder in the late tens. Um, so this is, unfortunately, it's unsurprising. They have a piss poor track record of allowing their filmmakers to maintain their integrity. Um, the, cause the micromanagement was yeah. present since day one. And that was why Donner was fired because That's- he, he wanted to, he said, no, listen, please. Let me do. I know what I'm doing, guys. Let me do this. And um, the the incessant pestering that Donner had to put up with, he eventually said, don't talk to me, write notes, send memos to the assistant. So they were communicating through an intermediary. They eventually mm-hmm. started communicating through. Um, uh, memos and, and other people because they could not talk to each other. And so even though the first movie was as successful financially as you think, as you thought it would be, the Salkins first act was they said, all right, you're out. Wow. And yeah. So this is uh, unfortunately what, what eventually happened with uh, you know, the, the, um, uh, development of the DCEU from the Man of Steel to the Theatrical Justice League. It's not new. They've been doing this for a while. That's just heartbreaking. I can't even, yeah. especially for this character. That's, I mean, it's fucking Superman. Yeah. Like, that is heartbreaking. That, I mean, yeah. I don't know if I'd have that same feeling if it was like with, with Batman or, you know, another like Marvel character or something, which there have been things, but mm-hmm. Black Widow. Um, but <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, mm-hmm. but the fact that it's like Superman, like the first in my head, like the first real superhero. Yeah. That was genuinely all for the good, positive things in life. Yeah. There wasn't like, yes, he was sent to a planet and his planet blew up and his parents are gone. But there wasn't that um, dark cloud, Mm -hmm. I guess, 
He was a, yeah. a beacon of hope and positivity in doing good. And it's just like studios, have you met Warner Brothers? Oh, just oh yeah. Mistakes. Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I yeah, seriously. I I were I to hypothetically were I to start hitting them, I don't know if I would ever stop. Because of how – so, you know, also keep in mind, you know, of when Superman is is either introduced or reintroduced in the public. So there was – there was 2013 and there was 1978. But even going back further, um, Superman was created by two – um, Jewish teenagers yeah. in um, Brooklyn or the Bronx? What are the two? New York City. So in this Brooklyn. was Brooklyn. Okay, okay. So this was when World War II was starting to pick up steam. Um, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster were the um, artists that came up with it, and a lot of it. A lot of what they put into the character was almost like um, a, a fantasy, uh, like a, a, not a power, but it, it was a power fantasy that you have someone who looks like them. So it's the dark, mm-hmm. prominent features like the hair, um, someone who has uh, absolute invulnerability. He couldn't fly at the time. The flying was at the flying power was added later, um, but his his appearance was also modeled after the circus strongmen, um, mm-hmm. with the cape um, and um, uh, yeah the cape the outfit even the tights uh, that was what circus performers and strongmen that was what they were wearing at the time, and also that um, a lot of uh, Superman's uh, mythic narrative is featured very prominent in Judaism. So we think of Superman yep. as a Christ, as the, a Christ figure. Um, really, he was originally Moses. He was Thank sent you. down the raft. Yes, he was. Thank yes. You. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yes. He's become <laughs> a Christ figure. Um, or, or he's he's conveyed Christ-like attributes, and of course that how he sometimes flies with his arms out to the side. Um, I mean, that's yeah. Sometimes they don't believe in subtlety, but um, yeah, it, it was originally it was not Jesus. It was he was modeled after Moses, yeah. and he wasn't sent to Earth to protect them or save them. It was just to get him out. That was it. Um, the the shift from being treated as a, a, a paragon from Moses from Moses to Jesus that was another thing that came from this movie. Um, a, a lot of the dialogue of Jorel was written like John's three sixteen. Um, so we have this movie to sort of attribute a lot to how Superman is seen nowadays. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, because it did in the comics after that. To where yes. they kind of leaned into the 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 Christ Savior. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean that you know, movies and comics have always had that particular relationship with each other. And yes, so much of the movies or so much of the comics of Superman were clearly inspired by aspects of the films. It also works the other way around too. Um, back in two thousand six was when. Tony Stark was really, really started to resemble and act like Robert Downey Jr. Because they were mm-hmm. priming, they were priming us um, for, because Iron Man was 2008. Um, but to make the, because Robert Downey Jr. was still a, a gamble at best, um, to make the transition easier uh, Marvel comics and studios, which was the same thing at the time. It was pre, pre Disney. Um, they started to adjust, um, the, the, um, uh, persona of Tony Stark to be modeled after Robert Downey Jr. so that his portrayal in the movie would be easier to take. So yeah. Oh, it's so I, true though. Yeah, I knew, I totally could see that because of how they, yeah, you're right. They kind of like groomed us to to believe that, and I I mean it obviously worked. I was just excited for um, Robert to get back because I'd always been a fan of his and followed his mm-hmm. stories. I remember being with classmates, and they're like, "Oh, that guy you like he he did this with it in a hotel room and yeah, drugs and people," and I was like. No, stop. I was like, he's still a brilliant actor, and this is a yeah. thing, and it's addiction and other things. I was like, don't shame him, please. And I yeah. was still held out hope. And then when I heard, like, the Iron Man movie coming out, I was so happy for him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now look. Mm-hmm. And it gives I mean, this... so many other people. Oh, I, I do. Yeah, yeah, because um, I'm, I'm a clinical psychotherapist, and some of my clients – were referred to me straight out of rehab and even or and, uh, along with the recovering the the those recovering from addictions i also work with the families and i do specifically bring him up when i talk about you know trying to instill or cultivate hope for recovery and i said just look at robert downey junior because i mean there were drugs in his life from from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. Like so many Hollywood people too. Yes, yeah. Um, and it's it's you know it almost seems like a different person, but you know when in uh, what was it like nineteen ninety nine and two thousand? Um, I mean, he was being arrested every other day, and it was like arrested, jail. Rehab, out of rehab, arrested, jail, rehab, out of rehab. Arre- it was like this cycle. And, you know, his, even his mug shots, oh. he was smiling. Like, it's like, yep, here we go again. And smiling mm-hmm. in the court. It, it's not that he didn't take it serious. Well, I mean, 
I can't say that, but it's like that's how used to it he became, that he was smiling for his mugshots. And now look, like think about where not just comic book movies, but what they have been able to inspire in mm-hmm. people. I mean, he visit he visited children in the hospital. Um, Robert Downey Jr. also started the um, um, uh, um, oh, I forget what it's called, something called Carbon Coalition or something. It's an envi- it's it's uh, environmental protection technology. Like he's he's basically become Tony Stark now mm-hmm. um as far as like spearheading the use of technology to create a better tomorrow like he has become a legitimate hero and to think without him what would have come of this if anything at all i yeah and that's where um <clears throat> it becomes kind of like an envelop better thing mm-hmm where the superhero aspect works it's legit it's real and that's why like with the whole um batfleck stuff i'm just like i like batman and i know he's gone through some stuff too but uh i can't help but like layer some of that stuff sometimes right that yeah yeah that is sad you can also i mean you can also see it in his face because in the um, the theatrical Justice League, um, he look, he's clearly bloated. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this was uh, you know along with having a public um, a publicly waged battle with something that is as personal as mm-hmm. um, uh, substance abuse and addiction. It makes it really sad when you can also see it on literally on his face. Broke my heart. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, though, fingers crossed, mm. he's back in shape. He seems to be doing really well. Um, so, yeah, let's. Back with J-Lo. Yep. Which I was surprised, but Okay. Well, he okay. was just in a movie I saw uh, yesterday, The Last Duel. Yes. Oh, yeah. Together? I mean. Yeah, it was. Uh, I know that this isn't <laughs> the time and place to talk about it, but yeah, if you haven't seen The Last Duel, definitely see it. It's in theaters right now. Uh, them two writing together, and then I have Jodie Comer and Adam Driver. Oh, baby. about something. I I don't know if I can watch it because I love Adam Driver and I finally watched the trailer and I was like, I that's exactly don't know if I can yeah. So I totally and I know what it. it's addressing and what it's about and it's based off some an actual account. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In real life. Yeah. Okay. Oh. I I still love you, Adam Driver. I know this is a character. <laughs> Breathe. Right. Breathe. He he is nothing if not intense. That's true. He's brilliant. Yes. All, yeah. all of my favorite people together in a movie. I I can't wait, but I'm also stressed out to watch this. Right. <laughs> I I will tell you that it's uh 
It's, you know, we could talk about this off air, but I'm just going to say, I, I think it, you'll, you'll see how it kind of is handled. So. Perfect. Yeah. I don't know. I oh, can't, I can't give you more than that. <laughs> yeah. Since we went off the rails a little bit, um, the one thing I was going to bring up is, uh, to wrap this whole package up for this movie that is apparently like spoilers here, probably the best superhero movie, the, Mm -hmm. the, the cornerstone of all superhero movies. But with a Superman going back in time because Lois Lane has died and she's been crushed in her car that was painted the same color as my car in high school. But, <laughs> but yeah, um, Quentin, what was your your thoughts on Lois Lane dying and Superman going back in time? You really open up a can of worms whenever you you can use. I wouldn't say time travel, but like this instance of turning back time. Because then my thinking is, well, he can do that for the, every movie now. He can do that for every instance. And so yeah. it, and I know that the reason why he did it was out of anger and, um, regret and just everything that, like, he was just emotion central. And, you know, he's hearing from both his, his dad, both his dads, um, in that scene and just like what he decides to do. It didn't bother me. I don't care. I don't like time stuff doesn't really bother me too much at all. But it's just the fact that, okay, you've opened this up. How are you going to explain him not doing this further? Or how is this not ever going to be able to fix any issue that ever happens, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing. But I, w- I could go with it. I, I went with it, um, and I didn't have any problems with it. I I thought it was brilliantly done. I mean, it looked good. You could see what was happening on the screen, and I was all for it. What about you, Phil? Uh, I, I agree with what you said, uh, that whenever time travel is introduced, uh, there then becomes the difficulty of properly adding tension later on, because then the audience would just say, well, then it's fine. You could just go back in time, which, by the way does happen again in the in the Donner cut of Superman 2 he does it again um so originally cuz like i said the the two movies were made at the same time and they, they were intended to be part 1 and part 2 of this mammoth script originally the flying back in time was only supposed to be at the end of 2 oh what yeah but at that point, at, at, at that, by the time they reached that point of production, they had halted all efforts on Superman 2 and focused everything on the first one, which by the time, um, by the time Donner was let go, he had already filmed about 80 to 85 percent of Superman 2. Um, and the time travel aspect was supposed to be then, 
I do not know off the top of my head if Lois would have if the same thing would have happened to Lois. I think that that was a reshoot. The idea of Lois dying. So I think that that was that was a decision that was made after they decided to put the time travel into the first one. And for the second one, they or the theatrical version of Superman 2, it was he didn't turn the world back, but he gave Lois the amnesia kiss, which was a power that never existed. Um, right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, watching the Donner cut, it does make it, it, it is kind of harder to watch now because now you're seeing the same Deus Ex Machina used twice in a row. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, it is, it, it's still, and, and even then, at this point, I, I'm I'm okay with it. I, I don't mind. Um, <laughs> at this point, I'm totally into like this particular universe. We've already been to Krypton. We've already been, you know, seeing Superman, seeing the time travel aspect. It it's not really jumping the shark. It's more like, oh, okay, so this is this is a new thing now, you know. And it was still done very well, how it was never actually stated, but you see everything happening in reverse. Um so it's very interesting how they executed it. Um yeah, yeah. I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And that car was smashed and I saw online somewhere that, you know, just <clears throat> A review comments in a review where it was obviously somebody that I could actually be the mother of a much younger person <laughs> saying like, well, she was just in the car, but she still had like space and air and blah, 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 whatever. Right. And I almost wanted to comment back and be like, um, yeah, but that was a car from the seventies. I'm, I think that might've been a four door Nova, which Cars are made out of metal, and she's being literally crushed to death. Yeah. So the CPR was not going to work because all the dirt in the metal. Yeah. Means your internal organs are going to be pretty much yeah. used. Yeah. Done so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. well, what a sweet kid. They're like, well, why couldn't he just give her CPR? And I was like, ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and still like that shows the extent of what Christopher Reeve was able to bring to the character that Mm -hmm. you have this basically godlike invulnerable being and the, the, the rawness of his vulnerability, um, it's, I mean, it's perfect. It's just like, if you were that person and you came across that sight of someone that you love and there's nothing you can do about it, uh, you would probably react identically. 
and just the way like the nose and like he's uh, whimpering and his head back and forth mm-hmm. um oh it's so powerful you know it is because that's that's what i love about this movie is how they humanize him so much because you have like you know in smallville like with his dad with pa um talking about it's like well, you know, I could make the touchdowns every single time. And the dad's like, you know, you're right. He's like, yeah, but if a bird can fly, then why can't it fly? You get it. It makes sense. He's like, but that can't be a thing. And then, like, right after that, Pa has a heart attack, which, yeah. I mean, back in the 70s, I mean, that was – things were just different and probably different in Kansas back in the day. Not going to yeah. lie. Right. But where he's like, I couldn't even save my own father. So then he's presented with this situation, even though there's words from Pa and then his biological dad mm-hmm. saying, like, you can't interfere with stuff. But it hits you as a human because we've all suffered loss of some kind where we wish we could turn back time on any level. And be able to save someone, change something, do something different. And it just hits you that hard. And I just love the way that even though he is an alien, this movie humanized him. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself. I, I can't I can't say anything more to that. That was perfect, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh. I, do you, you want to go ahead and rate this thing? Yeah, we need to rate this. <laughs> All right. Well, man, Phil's really torn this movie down so much that I'm really scared to hear his review. Um, but we got to do it. So. <laughs> no, Phil, how would you rate Superman on a scale of one to three for our show? Uh, is, is one the lowest and three the highest? Yes, sir. Okay, so uh, I'm I'm just gonna say what you would probably guess is right. <laughs> so I'll just leave mine unspoken because what you think I could say is what I'll say. Perfect. I so like that. Mine. Yes, <laughs> I like it a lot. Um, Amanda, how about you? Oh uh, yeah, just. Because it has been such a long time since I've really watched this all the way through and just sat down and enjoyed it. And I don't know if it's just, I mean, it's probably been like 10, 15 years. But seeing it now, after experiencing other movies and things like that, they're in the superhero nature. Oh, gosh. Yeah, this is full on like more than three reels. Mm-hmm. I, I can't I can't get over Christopher Reeve like oh my gosh um, yeah. I know a lot of people talk about Captain America Chris Evans being like the sexiest superhero and whatnot and I love my Robert Downey Jr. but mm-hmm. this man is chiseled yes this, well it's not even his chiselness it's his quirkiness his little comebacks where he says something like well you know blah 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 and also this and him coming back as Clark Kent and being like, I don't know what's happening. It's weird. Yeah. It's just, I'm, 
I'm obsessed. I was just like, nope, this is not my favorite superhero. Maybe he always has been, but, um, oh, rest in peace. Yeah. Yes. He's, he's fucking the best. He's number one. He's the best superhero. He's the best Superman. He's the best, all the things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to give this anything lower than a three without losing my <laughs> friendship with Phil. No, I, <laughs> I think this is, this is such a great movie and I'm really glad that I watched it, um, a couple times through the years. And this is required viewing for anybody who can watch a superhero movie. I mean, this is like the, origin of the mall that created this, this stigma of what we're used to seeing today. Um, I can't sit here and say that this movie deserves anything less than a three because look of what, look at what we were given and then for it to play out the way it did. And it's just, it is, it's, it's amazing. So if you haven't seen Superman, please, do yourself a favor and watch this movie. Um, you're doing yourself a disservice of not, if you haven't seen this, then like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be watching any superhero movie until you see this. Um, this is yeah. required. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree and with if, that. If possible, like the, the original version and the 2001 extended version, like they are the same plot wise. But if I had to pick between the two, I would go with the extended version. Um, there's, there's, uh, you, you don't learn more, um, but you do get to see more. Um, and so, like for example, in the in uh, um, when Superman finds Lex's lair down below, and he drills, he spins really fast, and he drills. Um, in the theatrical version, he drills down and then he pushes through the door. And that's when Lex says, it's open, come in, you know, my attorney will be in touch with you about the damage to the door. Otis, take the gentleman's (laughs) cape. In the extended version, he had to sort of run the gauntlet. Um, there were, once he drilled down, there were... He was surrounded by automatic machine guns that laid out, you know, however many thousands of bullets. And of course, it being Superman, they just bounced off of him. So then he goes into another room, which is then set on fire. And again, him being Superman, he walks through it. It's a really, really neat visual of Superman walking through the fire. Um, and some of it was eventually reused in Superman 2 for the depowering scene when he's getting his powers scraped off, I guess, from the chamber. They did eventually use some of it. And then in the third room, he's fro- they attempt to freeze him. So it's like the temperature drops, like there's snow, ice all around him. And so he crosses his arms, he holds really still, and he gets encased in a giant block of ice. And I feel like Lex, yeah, and he just basically moves his arms outward and yeah, breaks out. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, so something like that. It's like, I, I get why it was cut because at that point, Lex already knew that fire and bullets couldn't hurt him. So why even try this? So you don't learn anything new, but it is neat to see like the visual of the bullets just dropping off of him and him walking through the fire and then him charging out of a block of ice. And then it comes up to like, he walks up to the door and pushes it inward. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, stuff like that makes for me, the extended versions stand out a bit, and I do prefer that to the theatrical version, although the theatrical version is much, much tighter. Um, there is a three-hour version, um, which, to be perfectly honest, I haven't watched that much of. Um, and that, I, I would say that can be possibly avoided. Um, cause it's absolutely everything, like every established, every full establishing shot, every walking, every this, every single that you see the characters walk in the room. You see the characters walk across the room. You see then this, the characters exit the room. It's like, okay, come on, come on, let's come on. So the three hour <laughs> version is neat to need to see, but it is unnecessary. I would say the 2001 extended version if possible. Gotcha. Okay. Well, nice. there you have it, boys and girls. Yeah. <laughs> well, we want to we want to thank you so much for being on here, Phil. We hope that you had as much fun as we did. Uh, Absolutely, I this. did. Thank you guys for having me back. Um, as we we had said before, um, before recording started, that it it's been a little over a year since the last time and the first time I was on for the Interstellar episode. I remember nothing but having an absolute blast on that episode. This uh-huh. episode will be remembered identically. I <laughs> seriously cannot thank you guys enough. It was a privilege and an honor to be here with you. No, it was a privilege and an honor for us to have you on for yeah, Superman. Yeah, for sure, man. We'll have to get you back on for something soon. Uh, it has to be yeah. less than a year, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And see if it's something that can uh, be a single word title because Interstellar and Superman. So I guess the only thing they have in common uh, is that they have one word, their, their single word title. So it's probably going to have to be a something single word. So if you have one like Titanic. Um, right. Yes. Yeah, I'll do that. That'll that'll <laughs> keep the thing going. <laughs> Avatar. No, Please yeah. do not make me review either of those movies. <laughs> yeah. I'll keep that in mind for sure. But we had a blast. <laughs> we always do. Uh, Phil, you're great. We love having you, and you're just one of the best dudes, one of the best guys. We yeah, we Thank are extremely privileged to even get to know you, man. Um, Thank you. But, Amanda, we, of course, have uh, – we're, we're in a new genre, so this is a really nice kind of introduction to our new genre from going from horror to comic book slash fantasy. And, I mean, Phil hit it out of the park. So I hope our other guests can do just as well. Um, but – He will. Yes. <laughs> I hope that uh, you guys are enjoying the content. 
please make sure to check out our retro reel on Spider-Man. We just released our uh, kind of MCU introduction of Spider-Man with Civil War. Uh, we talk about that, and then we'll keep rolling along. I mean, we're we're getting to not the end, but we're getting closer. So we're excited. We're happy to do that, and uh, we're obviously just as equally excited to do these. And we hope you guys are enjoying them as well. But other than that, I think we're going to let you guys go. So, as always, keep it real. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you.